This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Balls. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as I'm sure it will always be, barring any incident at all, is Lyle Fulton, and I'm joined, as I'm sure I always will be as well, by the absolutely brilliant Jackie Vores. Jackie, it's actually strangely been a little bit of a while since we sat down and recorded one because we've both been very busy. We've both been sort of here there and everywhere. You've been away. Uh, you you were away in Spain last week. So first things first, how are you this yeah. fine Thursday afternoon? And how was your breakaway? How was your holiday? Breakaway was amazing. I managed to get a few days just alone with Son, who is studying Spanish and food tech. So we went to Valencia. And I got him into the Mestalla Stadium. We went around there and he practices Spanish a bit. And then I took him on a paella cooking course. <laughs> so it was sort of this Spanglish, paella, tortilla. It was brilliant. And then the best bit about it was that when we went to Mestalla Stadium, I got him a football, a Valencia football. And as we were going through the security, we had it in hand luggage and the security guard goes football and I was thinking oh my god I can't take this through security and she goes no 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 she said the Valencia team are coming here in 10 minutes no way <laughs> and she said wait there they'll sign the football and I was like oh is that true am I really listening to this am I hearing this so anyway we waited little Arlo was sat there behind security and all the security guards were all smiling at him and sure enough all of the Valencia football team come through the the, the security putting all their stuff through the scanners and as they come out through the scanners with their everything in a tray there's Arlo weighing with his football. No way. <laughs> oh no, they're not going to like this. You know how annoying it is when you just taking all your stuff out, then you have to put it back in. And then there's this little kid. <laughs> wanting a well, I know exactly how annoying that is because I often get asked for autographs after I've gone through airport security. I'm joking. Obviously, of course you do. I'm obviously joking. But it was so funny. I've, I've literally got this, this photo. Maybe we'll put it in the footnotes of this of all the Valencia football players queuing up. To sign his book. Oh, fair play to him then. Fair play. That's that's great news. That's really good. That's <laughs> a good news so story. Kind. They were so kind. So yeah, so that that that's my opening. And I challenge you to get a segue out of that over to our wonderful. Well, guest. here we go. And actually, while you were speaking, I have been <laughs> thinking about trying to get a segue involved. This is my segue, listeners, ladies and gentlemen. We're not going to talk about football this week. I've made it my promise because we are the morning after the day before. <laughs> An absolute capitulation by my beloved Manchester United at the hands of the mighty European giants, Copenhagen. Just a total humiliating collapse at the hands of potentially also some very poor officiating. And it has left our current manager, our sitting manager, Eric Ten Hag, under a little bit of pressure. Speaking of people who are under a little bit of pressure. Oh, This last fortnight has seen a man by the name of Sam Bankman-Fried in a trial over all sorts of you know fraudulent activities surrounding the world of cryptocurrency we have a guest this week listeners who knows 
how do you think this segue is going by the way Jackie? you're nodding and you know acknowledgement <laughs> it's getting there we have a guest this week listeners who we're absolutely delighted to have on the podcast who um you know just might be about as expert as it comes on this particular area he's probably gonna be shaking his head there going well i don't know but we're delighted to <laughs> have <all> good. <laughs> we're delighted to have the absolutely brilliant matt buxton of mystic games with us this week now before we get into the nitty-gritty of the sandbank with free stuff matt it's an absolute mm-hmm. pleasure to have you on the podcast thank you so much and obviously all things crypto and web3 but i do all these things with this with our guests where i quite often will introduce mm-hmm. them in a, in a somewhat embarrassing way and just rattle off a list of their achievements and i'm going to do that for Love you now, so strap in <laughs> matthew buxton this is matt is the CEO and co-founder of Mystic Games, which is a brand new game studio created in July last year, specializing in creating unique and exciting multiplayer mysteries. Uh, Matt has also previously been the game design director at both Rovio and Mag Interactive, and he was also the ideation lead at Mag Interactive as well. He's a director, public speaker, Web3 enthusiast, as well as being a design expert, and he has over 18 years experience in this industry. So it's safe to say, listeners, he knows his stuff. There you go. I really set you up there. First things first. Yeah, no. How are you? How are you this fine Thursday afternoon? And can you also tell us a little bit about how you came Mm -hmm. to sort of be where you are now professionally? How you came to sort of create Mystic Games and a little bit about your career so far, if you wouldn't mind? Sure thing. So yeah, um, really, really enjoying it on this um, lovely Thursday afternoon. Before I have to go back to ever so sunny uh, Stockholm, which is probably dark and cold already by now. Always fun on that one, but yeah. I've been in the industry a long ass time and I got into it via the age old, age old method of nepotism. Basically, I was studying fine art at the time and my stepdad was actually doing um, a computer game. And one of the guys he was working with was like, hey, do you want to do you want to join this and do some art? I was like, yeah, I'll do some art on the computer game. And they said, oh, we're doing a course on computer games design. Do you want to join that and drop your fine art course? I was like, well, one of them's making me money. One of them's costing me money. I know which one I'm going to do. So that's how I got into the industry all of those years ago. Made some lovely shovelware on PS2. And like just about the same time that PlayStations being given to the little brothers, complete with their big fat brother controller that no one really wanted. And uh, I was making some lovely shovelware that grannies would buy their kids thinking they were like the, the full full top game but in fact they were made by a tiny british studio by the name of clockwork games so if you've ever had the misfortune to play home alone on ps2 um, then that's my fault i was young i didn't know any better but yeah i've done some stints at jagex one of our uh, sort of our, our beautiful long-living uh, british studios that's um been changed changed hands quite a few times in the in the day and i i worked in um mini clip in portugal doing able pool multiplayer had a stint in King in Berlin, where I met my co-founder Jake's, and uh, yeah, we've known each other since 2014. So that's uh, that's been a that's been a good time. He's like my brother from another mother, and it's uh, it's great that we actually live in different countries because it stops that whole founder fallout thing that you could get if you're up in each other's grills all the time. So I think that's uh, it. Always, we're happy to see each other as opposed to um, at each other's throats, which is always nice. And yeah. So after that a stint at MAG, as, as we've said before, and uh, then I went into Rovio, as you do when you're a dad and you just get a new kid, you're like, the first thing I'm going to do is change jobs for some reason, get a better, more paying job. So I did that. And uh, yeah, when I was at Rovio, I kind of got um, a call to action to say, hey, look at these crypto games. They're really, really good in the numbers. And I was like, well, the games are really, really bad. So maybe there's a space in here for making actually good games and uh, and improving this model. So I've dabbled around with crypto a few times and 
always always on the receiving end of some sharp <laughs> lessons i would say but yeah it's been it's been fun and i got into this whole thing around about the time the market was really at its at its peak with the with web gaming and then i proceeded to raise money as the market was uh, falling like a knife so all i have left after catching that falling knife many times is a bag of fingers and uh, a company so it's all good so, um, just for the listeners that we have because obviously you know we do have quite a few people on the podcast that are related to the games industry but for the listeners that we have that aren't related to the games industry but might play some of the games that you've worked on like your king games like mm. king is known for candy crush and rodeo is known mm. for Hungry birds with web3 games and with mm. uh, crypto games what's the difference well, the difference at the moment is more people are actually working on Web3 games than playing them, Ooh. I would say. Um, <laughs> so the difference essentially is the, the promise of Web3 games was essentially that you could find a way to actually, through your gameplay um, and selling objects and potentially finding game, even make money off the game. So we've always been, as an industry, able to make more money and spread, spread games wider when we're more generous. If you look at the start of sort of genesis of the industry, you were there in the 80s and you went to um, a Japanese executive of a big arcade company and said, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to make one machine, fits in your house and plays everyone games and we're going to sell it at a loss. I think they would have probably fired you or Windows CTD for that suggestion. But that was the console and uh, even selling them at a loss up until PS3 days was, uh, was really profitable for the industry. And then if you look at the next big step, we went free to play. We also have Steam where games are essentially almost free. And every time we've done this, the industry has uh, just grown and got bigger and, um, yeah, made more money. So I think the next logical step is if we can find a way to actually incentivize gamers in a way that's slightly different from the skill games, where it's just kind of a, a sort of analogous to gambling, then I think we can actually do something. Because I, I remember that people say they play CCP's massive space opera game um what's the name of that damn thing i can't remember it off the top of my head uh, it's the it's the one from the iceland okay. studio which one hearthstone are you talking about the, the game? no 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 this one is um yeah they make the, the huge space game eve online there we go so eve online is a game that's actually better to read about than to play um, because it's a full-on space opera full of betrayal. And when they when they blow up each other's ships, they talk about them in terms of how much money these things cost because they, they are sort of tradable and they are, they do have this kind of like um, idea that they're even bringing game economists into this into this world. Now, I know for a fact that the guys who originally in CCP are actually moving into Web3 um, and they are doing a Web3 version of this. So there is this whole sort of, standard that has been set in the past by web 2 games doing this web 3 thing and what happened instead was a bunch of people who'd never played games bizarrely enough never made games came into it from a financial background and said you know what if we just gamify clicking on shit we can make money or make people have the illusion that they're making money and as long as we're in a massive raging bull market where everything's nonsensibly growing then this is a massively sustainable model and of course everyone pumped in billions of dollars into that idea and then let's just see how it all turned out well it's that kind of stuff it's that kind of, that those kind of activities that have kind of given crypto and web3 this sort of shady feeling yep it is it's one of these things that it's basically like if you say you're working on web3 games it's the equivalent of saying like i'm i'm setting up a gm food company 
no one really likes that idea, but we don't hear about it anymore. No one, no one. Apparently, this was going to kill us all by now. We should have all been dead. Um, but uh, apparently, it just it doesn't matter anymore. It's one of those things that we just collectively forgot about. They're like dangerous dogs until they eat the next child. Um, we always forget <laughs> about this kind of thing, and then it comes back to haunt us later. We're why all is that? Why, why, why is that? I mean, why? Why is? I mean, I think we kind of already half answered it, but this kind of idea that because I mean, Jackie and I. I'm sure Jackie and yourself as well, Matt, have spoken about Web3 at length. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of it. And, you know, mm. the promise of like being able to use this brand new technology to kind of basically revolutionize not just how we create games, but also how we do business, how we meet with one another. And yet yeah. you're right. There does seem to be this kind of ever so slightly dirty feel surrounding I mean, creation of Web3. I don't know why that is. It's it's definitely because it's one of those things that we need a folk devil. We always need a folk devil. And if we don't have one, then we'll just think of another one. And like when you have coronavirus and all of that sort of stuff, nowadays we live in a world where the truth is basically subjective. No matter what it is, everyone has and holds their own truth. And for a lot of people coming into the Web3 sort of world from maybe say, if you look at the countries that are adopting it the most, the sort of more the developing countries, a lot of people went in there for the promise of getting money. And then a lot of people from developed countries saw this and scammed them. And it was this, this sort of idea that you could in one minute like just get something for free from some website and then suddenly it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and of course everyone piled in after the monkeys with lizards and then cats and then penguins and then all of these kind of things just happily sort of applying this kind of idea that you can just literally download this thing for a couple of hundred dollars and then you'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams and, and this all worked out for a little while but it's a, it's a massive Ponzi scheme, isn't it? And at the end of the day, the founders of these things took vast quantities of money and the people selling them, like OpenSea, also took vast quantities of money. And now OpenSea's laid off 50% of its staff. And yeah, and then they went on a massive retreat in the um, Katy Perry mansion as the first thing they did after they laid off the staff. Not one day later, they booked a, a huge retreat so that they could get back on this. And I think it's also been, it's been... The problem is that we all, we had this kind of very sort of nonsensical anti-government, slightly maybe right-wing independent streak about this, which was like, this is our own money and so no one can F with this money. But at the same time, that meant that they couldn't, they didn't want to be regulated, attracted a bunch of grifters because they always do. And then so what happens is you have then genuine governments like, well, look at these people trying to make money and we can't get a slice out of this. So it's always going to be a harder sell when you've got the combined arms of various governments like wrapped up against you. So I think it's um, that was part of it. And I think part of this whole counterculture way of doing it meant that it was very, very difficult for people to actually come in and say, like, yeah, we can we can regulate this. We can get standards together. This whole idea of decentralization. Fantastic. Until you realize that anyone can send you a coin in your wallet. And if you click on it, all your money's gone. Someone yeah. sends you three Bitcoin, you click on it, oh, all your money's gone. And that would be insane if banks were like that. Imagine going to your bank statement and being like, oh, what's this transaction? Clicked on the transaction. Oh, you've lost all your money. That's insanity. No one can live like that. But I think the promise is there. The promise is there. And um, we just need to get past this, um, past this point where people are saying that we're still new. We're not. We've been around for many, many years now. We've had countless regulations sort of thrown at us but at the same time we just haven't hit that kind of level where it's all stabilized so i think this is this is partly because the bull bear cycle really really messes it up when you have a bull cycle you get loads of bad actors in 
when you have a bear cycle, you lose all the money from the development of the good actors that survived. So it's um, it's quite difficult, um, especially when the industry is basically hated from on high. But you're still in it. And yes, so therefore, ergo, you do see a time of more positivity. And more I do, I do. And how do you think that's going to happen? So I think that's actually going to happen through larger companies, especially from the Asian games industry, just making it a default option to have collectibles in game that are essentially, it's not about thinking about, oh yeah, this is the JPEG on a server that could get deleted. This is just a receipt. It's a digital receipt of ownership that you can use to then transfer to someone else. When we see games being made in seconds by AI and then games being cloned and copied and all the rest of it, I think Web3 is the only way that people will actually be able to verify that this particular item came from a particular game. And I think that's uh, that's going to be really important. Once the tools are built out to a sort of a level of abstraction where you don't actually have to deal with the blockchain yourself in a personal level, because that's horrible. I think we're, we're going to move forwards and we're going to move forwards faster and faster. I don't think there's a single large Asian games company that isn't considering or has already got uh, fully jumped into this. So the irony there is basically you've talked about a lot of the the question marks coming from the lack of security, you know, the clicking on coins in a wallet and then losing all of your, your money. But then the irony is that ultimately with all of the tech that's coming, the blockchain is the most defensible next stage of technology. And therefore, everything that we transact on, on the blockchain will be more secure, ergo, Web3 is actually the way forward. I believe so. I believe it's one of the few things to, simply because it's a pain in the ass to set up. It's a pain in the ass to set up and it's not, it's, um, it's not easy for uh, lay people to get involved in it. And until, until they develop an AI specifically uh, dedicated to churning out coins or, or something like that, then I think it, there is a defensibility that you have there with having all of your items actually listed and having them all sort of verified as coming from your uh, particular game. And you have these chains that you can rely on, you know, and there's there's going to be, I think, as we go forwards, we're going to see more people relying on the chains. Maybe they're going to sort of, there's going to be some sort of consolidation. For example, some of the top chains last cycle, like Cardano, we're not hearing so much about in this cycle. Uh, maybe, maybe that will change. But I think every chain has its different purpose. And you might get to a point where, Products are using multiple chains under the hood to do different things. Because I think and while there is some sort of like fun idea about putting your entire game on a blockchain, that's really, it's like one of these unique things where people have a competition of how many gigs they can put on the, in the smallest file zip or something like that. It's, um, it's definitely more of an oddity than it is, I think, the way forwards. And I think the way forwards is just a sensible approach of, hey, I own this stuff. It's my digital stuff that I own as opposed to here's my tickets that I own for something, here's my game items that I own, and actually being able to view them external to all of the stuff. Because most games nowadays, people download them. And if you're trying to download the latest games, they'd probably take up most of your PlayStation disc, like 500 gigs or whatever. That's um, 200 gig download for one game. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they inflate those sizes to stop you downloading other games. That drives I'm me mad. Sure that Honestly, it's like, do, you, do you, you need to clear space on your PlayStation now because this game is like 500 gig. I'm like, it can't be that big. It cannot possibly be that. That's a really interesting theory as well. I've always thought that maybe they are just making sure this is the only game. I have on my PlayStation. This is the only game. I, I think so. I think that's part of it. I think that's, um, it's literally, it's also why I think if I'm going to put my tinfoil hat firmly back on again, 
I think it's really, it's why um, you're seeing the drive for privacy on both of the major mobile phone platforms. I think that is literally trying to gate their data against AI harvesting. They want people to be giving out less and less data so that they can have that data because they, all, they own all of that data anyway when you sign up to it. It's a little bit like a Black Mirror episode that you've signed up to these terms and conditions. So yes, they will make a, uh, a Joan is awful out of, out of your life experience. But I think it's, it's really about guarding your data and keeping it more um, closer to their system so that when they have AI, they can actually um, outcompete or potentially sue people for taking their customer's data. It's really interesting, this. It's, fa- it's fascinating. I mean, what I'm sort of reading here as well from you, Matt, which is really interesting as well, one of my, something I took away from something you just said earlier is the kind of increased overcomplication of how we're processing this data, how we're, how we're using blockchain, how we're using Web3. And that can kind of extend into kind of the cryptocurrency space as well and nfts i was doing some research earlier this week before before i sent you the document across before the episode today and it sort of seems like it was almost inevitable that what we've had with who we're going to henceforth call sbf but sam bankman fried who was charged last week with wire frauds and money laundering through his crypto business which saw him be named like this poster boy of crypto i believe that was kind of his label but then I saw that the knock-on effects, like, you know, layman's like myself would then expect crypto to just completely collapse in on itself. And yet the Guardian reported that it was trading at its highest price, like the day of his guilty verdict, it was trading at its highest price in over a year. Yeah. There almost seems like an inevitability here that the more complicated it gets, the more potholes there are that people can fall into, but almost the more successful it gets as well, because people who get it and overcomplicate it can... Do, do you see what I mean? It, it, I, I, yeah, I, I see, I see exactly. I see exactly what you mean. But if you if you look at the actual like fallout of the SBF thing at the time, that there is no way that it could have got worse. Him being guilty of it was actually just justification on the on the absolute horror that um, it going down had on the market. Like, yeah, you know, I remember because we were raising that summer, and it was just a it was hell when FTX just went down. Like there was there was some like VCs that just exploded. They had all of their money there. They, I remember having panicked calls with our advisors where they were just saying, shit, we have to move $3 million now. Otherwise, we're going to, um, otherwise, and then they just had to put down the phone because things were happening at such a fast pace. Money was just getting sucked out of the system so fast. The entire thing just went like it crashed massively. So I think a lot of people trading crypto now that he's gone down, they think actually, you know, that's good. We're turning a corner here. Like he's getting nailed to the wall. I think they would have been more worried if he'd have escaped justice. I think if he'd have actually escaped justice and he hadn't got sentenced, we still don't know what that is exactly. But if he hadn't have had the book thrown at him, I think people would have lost confidence in crypto. I think that is actually the the idea is that if we can get all of the super bad actors out and we can really sort of punish them. And you would never see that for the banks, right? Banks, for example, in the whole 2008, all of the crisis, when everything imploded, I think Iceland was the only country that actually arrested bankers. If you look at them, say, HSBC money laundering scandal, that's been a rumbling on for many, many millions of years. I don't know anyone who's had the book thrown at them quite so comprehensively as um, SBF would. There are, there are so many banking crimes that have gone through with potentially way, way, way more or larger amounts than um, you ever see in Web3. But when someone in Web3 fails and they, they scam, they get the book thrown at them. And it's, uh, it's, it's crazy to think that the amount of, um, and this is by no means saying that I'm uh, supporting of him or think that that's um, a bad thing. I think it's fantastic. I think that we should just apply 
those same rules of throwing the book at these bad actors when it comes to the actual that's a really good point isn't it yeah fantastic point is is, do you think there's a sense maybe and this is kind of a bit of a hot take you know that i'm kind of this is a bit of a loaded question i i I get the sense you're kind of leaning towards this anyway the authorities felt the need to go hard on SBF because they're almost scared of where it's going. And I, I, I'm, I'm sort of loath to use the word scared, but it is really, <laughs> it was, it was really careering and really kind of gathering pace. And they yeah, felt the I need think... to really kind of curb the momentum because it's something they're still not altogether fully understanding of. Do you see what I mean? That's not me. I, uh, that's again, not me kind again, of again, supporting him uh, again, the same as yeah. you, but it's a similar thing. But I get what you mean, but I think if they were actually trying that plan, if they really wanted to do damage to crypto, they would have let him off with a slap on the wrist. That yeah. would have actually been far more damaging. But I think it's um, it's this whole illogic knee-jerk reaction to someone has crossed um, an invisible line, which is essentially if you're trying to create money while avoiding all of those main those regulations and those systems that, frankly, um, if you're on the in crowd, you can be you can play them. I mean, because if you look at what happened with the whole all of the banking crisis when all of these banks were too big to fail and all the rest of it no one got anything out of that and there was way more money just evaporated like the entire american economy evaporated almost overnight with this whole um credit default swap thing and yep we saw absolutely no show trials we saw zero show trials we saw maybe some investigations it's it's like this whole as long as you play by those rules, you're protected by the lack of enforcement because the agencies are set up in such a way that, you know, the enforcement is there and you get a slap on the wrist, but you're, you're sort of paying homage to the right people. But if you try to go outside of the system, it's just like how hard Uber gets stepped on in France. Anyone who's like opposing or like trying to get out of the old school system, they get slapped down because politically it's, it's just it's convenient to do it it's it's expedient that's why crypto has struggled to take off and even though people say it's, it's still new it's not we're we're struggling with adoption partly because it's, it's just terribly made but also <laughs> partly because um it, people keep treading on it and i think if they really if they were really smart about it and they wanted to do lasting damage to crypto they'd have actually let him off if yeah. they'd have let him off the price of crypto would have tanked but yeah nailing him to the wall made everyone that bit more confident that you know at least if people screw you over in crypto they're going to get sent down so there's accountability there but it's still for the average layman and this is really interesting because i think it's a generational thing as well for the average layman between 30 and 50 60 70 they're all going hmm well that proves it's all dodgy that proves it's all shady Whereas the youngsters, I I count my nephew, for example, who's been trading in crypto for yonks with his spare 20, 30 quid when he was a student. He was phoning me up going, buy Ripple, buy Ripple. <laughs> okay, get on my Binance, buy a bit of Ripple, fine. Just doing what I'm talking But I think the youngsters have a have a different attitude to it. Is this something you've seen as well? Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing is that there's this whole Gen Z hustle culture, which is very different from my sort of millennial party until you die culture, um, which is definitely, that's why partly they rip on us because we walk around like old people because we spent our youths not drinking smoothies and going to the gym all the time and then saying how we get up early and go to bed early and don't have friends. Um, bless the little Gen Z hearts. They're so sweet. Um, but they love, they absolutely love the hustle culture. And this is part of it. It's hustling, trading, going on YouTube, like showing up there, looking all, all fresh and like you just popped out of the womb 
Um, <laughs> and going there and saying how you made so much money, just dealing with a few little bits and bobs based on some recommendations. I mean, we didn't have such a thing as an influencer. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrifying prospect. But people on there shouting about how much money they made and all of this, it drives, it drives kids because, I mean, they, they look at their older brothers um, who were sitting there in the rooms with the black lights, smoking too much weed and telling them how, you know, everything was connected and that you can actually fight cancer if you believe in um, space aliens or something like that. And they look at those people and they think, never again, never, never again. I'm going to listen to my parents because look what happened to these guys that didn't. And so that's why I think Gen Z is really focused on sort of self-improvement. And I think crypto is one part of this. And I don't necessarily think they, you could say that they're particularly positive of the tech or anything like that, but what they are into is they are into trying to make money and to grind and to hustle. And they see that as an extension of the things that they do. And they see that whether they're trading NFTs or whether some of the younger like uh, members of Gen Z are actually just going on and hacking dumb millennials with too much money and taking their NFTs and then going on uh, X or Twitter and then laughing about it. And it's, it's really, I think it's, it's partly this attitude that people who are digital natives are just more familiar with it. I mean, like they even, uh, Gen Z, they, they love to post on things like TikTok about millennials saying like, oh, is this on for the camera? And uh, like all of those things that they, they just never experienced, it's always on. I mean, they're the kind of kids who, who will literally be on FaceTime walking down the street. I mean, I've never understood how, how so, so many people can watch so much video content and still walk. But, you know, it's, it's a skill. It's a skill. I've a skill never felt have. so seen. In, on this podcast <laughs> we are almost 70 episodes in and i feel like the way you've just described a millennial which i am i can confirm that that's the period of time i was born in 100 i can neither confirm nor deny some of the behaviors uh <laughs> obviously I'm, 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 the, I'm an established host of this of this piece of content but i've never felt so seen in my life about the fact because i've got a younger brother who is kind of a gen z a 22 kind of thing and uh, he kind of adopts the opposite of what you consider to be a gen z i don't think he's had a smoothie in about 13 years uh <laughs> certainly not by choice um but yeah i mean it's uh oh man that, that honestly that was absolutely brilliant let's talk a little bit just sort of bring mm -hmm. this one sort of to a close this has been absolutely fantastic but let's talk a little bit just noticed our eagle-eyed viewers will notice that matt is sporting mm. some mystic stash a mystic cat which i'm absolutely loving i've been i've been admiring it all episode <laughs> let's talk a little bit about mystic quickly as well because i feel like it would be remiss sure not to talk about this brilliant thing you've set up i mean what's going on currently you know in, in mm -hmm. as far as what you can tell us about and also what does the immediate future hold as we head towards the end of 2023 and into what could be a very very exciting 2024 as confidence hopefully in everything you're dealing in starts to grow exponentially really yeah so for us um we're on a really good we're on a really good track at the moment we have the game out in technical launch that's the first game um call of the void so we're starting to get user numbers in now and it's really interesting that our community has been there right from the start helping us to debug the game um and playing it like absolutely massively so we've got around about on average 50, 50 minutes or so per user. They're doing three sessions a day. It's really, it's really exciting. And there's, we're a small team, right? So there's only six of us doing the Berlin game. There's two of us based in Stockholm making game two. And coming up next year, we'll, we'll have a lot of really interesting announcements. We're, we're partnering with some major people in the space. Jambo for one of them, we have an OEM deal. So we're going to be out on potentially millions of Jambo phones in Africa. We're also going to be partnered with, um, WeMix, so we just signed the WeMix partnership, so we're going to push into Asia as well. We're currently raising our seed round at the moment, 
So this means that if we manage to do this, we can set up our third studio, grow our existing games, and uh, we're ready to we're ready to scale the game and um, bring our mission, which is essentially free web free, because we believe that you know with all of the things that we talked about, all of the issues and the problems, we believe if something has value, you should be able to give it away for free. If you just look at like in a festival, right? And as a millennial, you'll know exactly what that is. If someone's giving away free Snickers, you're happy with that. If someone's charging 20 pence for Snickers, you don't want it. But if someone's charging like 200 bucks for gold Snickers, you're probably like, hmm, that might be a bit special. <laughs> so there is a certain, we, it's like the Veblen good curve. If you think that something is valuable, give it away for free. And I think people charging very small amounts for NFTs and doing all this stuff, they're just doing themselves a disservice. You can make money in the traditional way. There's billions of dollars put into the free-to-play industry, how to make money out of free games. We're going to use that. We're going to be doing normal in-apps, normal ads, and then just giving away all the Web3 stuff because we think that that benefits the players and we think we believe that every time the industry is more generous, it's better for the players and it's, uh, it's going to bring more people in. Allowing people to find really rare NFTs and then sell them without us taking a cut, we think is um, just very good for the ecosystem. That's brilliant. And it's really brilliant, which I really, I love this. You talk, you mentioned Jambo then and you mentioned WeMix about emerging markets and emerging countries that are coming through. I mean, we sit in, we, Lyle and I sit in the UK. We're very kind of xenophobic in a way. But what people don't realize is how important crypto is in so many of these emerging markets where people, you know, don't yep. have access to banking and do have access to, to cryptocurrency. So from a, I love the way that you're approaching this from a very global scale. This is not a yeah. Stockholm, London thing. This is a global opportunity, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting for us because um, if you look at the sort of the mobile phone penetration in those sort of emerging markets, and um, I mean, I don't want to go exactly into the sort of the terms that the market makers for ads use them. And there's various tiers of countries like tier one being US and that, and, and they have like a, a much higher acquisition of users all the way down to uh, different tiers of countries. We believe that everything is going to be more developed over time. And when you see something where, mobile phone usage uh, penetration into the market will go up from like 77 to 93% in the next 10 years. If you are there with a game that is in 3D and it's um, it's really efficient and will play on a $99 Android phone, then you can also be there and take a take a nice slice of that market and, um, and be there actually showing people, you know, you can make really good experiences on um, really simple phones. I mean, we've, we've known this from even from the hyper casual games, you can have really fun games that you stuff full of ads and all the rest of it. But at the core of it, they're fun, addictive loops. I and mean, we can get that and we can get those to the people. We can actually use crypto to sort of reward them for playing and reward them for winning as prizes. Then that's much more valuable to us just sitting there and hoping that we get the same old, same old users in who for some mysterious reason, 1% of them will decide to spend $100,000 on your game for no no reward other than getting their face on a leaderboard. So we think it's actually time that we create an economy that creates value for the players in a good way. And we're not going to do all of this sort of weird, mysterious things like, you know, sell some monkey pictures and say you get an invite to a party. None of that's going to work out for anyone. But I also get the real sense as well. I mean, I, again, another brilliant example. That's that's almost possibly something I I might fall for, but that that might be just me. Um, but but I'm, I I get the sense as well, and you, you'll know this better than, than than myself, Matt. But like a gaming consumer, the gaming consumer audience, the individuals within that are some of the most appreciative 
passionate, loyal consumers of any industry worldwide. And Jackie and I did a podcast episode recently where we spoke about the kind of unity debacle and how like monetizing that situation got the backlash that in my opinion, and I'm sure it's an opinion that's shared by by people on this recording and, and people outside was, you know, deserved as a backlash. And so again, I just sort of want to join, it's not really a question. I joined Jackie in kind of applauding you for kind of acknowledging how appreciative and loyal and how passionate your prospective consumers and, and stakeholders are because that will pay massive dividends going forward. You're doing it that kind of traditional, authentic way. And it must be something that's really exciting to be a part of as well, like as a small team, like to be doing this and to almost be doing something both traditional and somewhat unusual relative to other you know, companies and organizations. Yeah. I mean, it must be really exciting. It's really exciting. Um, I mean, we have a lot of players um, that are really passionate about it. We have our Discord community that's super passionate about it. And I think one of the things is we're not really heading for those sort of gamers with a capital G, your traditional basement dwelling, you know, Mountain Dew slurping type of gamers that just the only way to turn them into Greta Thunberg is to actually mention crypto games. And then suddenly they become environmentalists, which is hilarious if you if you watch what they normally post about and how, how they normally consider anyone who isn't exactly like them. I think we go for mobile gamers because, you know, they're just more adaptable, more fun. Um, and like, for example, when I was working for King, people wouldn't know the company, they'd know the games. And I think this is what you get on mobile. You get people who are more upfront, they're more willing to play, but you also get the same level of passion because you are, you are giving away money. You are trying to help the community. It's like we're partnering with Billion Dollar Fox Club. Once we sort of roll out and across Africa, we're going to be putting like a thousand Nigerian kids through school. So we're, we're trying to sort of make these things a better place. What with um, Eventually, we're going to have our Mystic DAO set up, and that's going to be things that we're all going to be able to do, vote on as a community together to sort of help improve um, the environment and the world around us. And I think it's going to be really exciting in the future to be able to sort of leverage your own trust or your own foundation with a games company. And I, I mean, that's something new. It's a, something special to us as well. And I think, um, yeah, going forward, we, we just want to make the best games possible and that's why we're even looking to say not localize the game into the asian market but we would actually open up a studio in asia so that we get um, specific games specific game studios for specific markets using the same ecosystem and i think that's really important when you're looking at the future of games it sucks when you've um, played a game for a long time and then you leave it and you go to the new game and you've got nothing and anyone who's played any of those countless football games knows that football never ends so since football never ends, there's a new game every year. There doesn't really need to be a new game every year. And it's probably not a new game every year. There's just different players. <laughs> sadly, so, football does never end, I'm afraid. Yeah, based on what yeah, I had to witness for two hours last night, I'm afraid, sadly, <laughs> sometimes, particularly my wife wishes football would just one day end. You know, I say, right, you're Someone absolutely wins right. the football. Forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one day, one day. Well, Matt, thank you so, so much, for, so much. For, for, for coming on the podcast this week. We've absolutely loved speaking to you. And we were speaking just before we went, live as well won't we Jackie too Matt about the fact that we'd love to have you on because obviously I suppose the last thing we mentioned on this episode you kind of alluded to it briefly already is that you're kind of going into an investment round and things like that and we yeah. won't speak too much about that at the moment because obviously there are things that are happening behind the scenes but we'd love to have you back on at some stage in the future to talk about how that went for you guys as a company how it went for you personally and to talk a little yeah. bit about your experiences as well That'd be great. That'd be really, really good. And uh, yeah, thank you again for inviting me on today. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure, especially to uh, bring up my own sort of biases about millennials. I love it every time.
some of the hot takes honestly they are so <laughs> this has been one of the most clippable episodes we've ever recorded i know jackie will say <laughs> oh i always so say that but i but i mean that from the bottom of my heart it's so spot on thank you so so much matt we really appreciate it. a thank few quick so listeners before we let you get on if you would like to get in touch and be on the podcast or get in touch with the topic you'd like us to discuss like we've just spoken to matt about then you can do so by emailing the following you can email us info at the or info at demozo.com we'll respond to both of those email addresses head to both of those websites as well we promise well, I, I can't make this promise but i'm sure i hope we won't be stealing your data that's not something we're doing uh that's definitely not something we're doing jackie's shaking her head at me like oh god what are you saying but go to both those websites for the rest is pr all things the podcast the rest is pr.com and the mozo.com for all things brilliantly happening at the at the moment you can also message us on linkedin jackie vores and lyle fulton will answer on that platform and finally done it in a different order this time around but i'm here for it you can follow us on x and get in touch with us that way at the rest is pr capital t capital r capital i capital pr it's as simple as that jackie same time next week what do you reckon yes got another brilliant <laughs> guest coming on yes yes very very sure very determined there you go i love that i love the confidence going in well listeners thank you so so much once again for being with us on the latest episode of the rest is pr but for the time being from matt from jackie and from myself you take care of yourself and bye for now